0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney
1: hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and for the first time since the pandemic began neither eric nor i are in our home bases as we record this uh i am in my happy place my former residence of alaska i gotta be honest actually eric uh i felt pretty anxious coming here it wasn't so much being in alaska although the delta variant is sweeping through the state uh it was it's actually the, the the feeling of getting here right i mean it's weird i mean i used to travel probably by like, every twice a month something like that and and i've gone to all kinds of places uh uh, on the regular but it did feel strange to be getting ready to go on a flight for the first time in 18 months and everything I used to take for granted felt strange and new and uncertain and <sighs> but fortunately it went well everybody on my flights as well behaved um but yeah you know I mean it is my defense it's a fairly long way to travel for my first journey a- outside of the biosecure bubble of Vermont and, and I'm sure you You know, you went through the same feelings, seeing as you traveled all the way from Pennsylvania to, um, checks notes here, uh, Delaware.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, listen, don't don't downsell the stress of my travel. Uh, A three hour (laughs) drive that includes crossing one state line is very stressful. I was white knuckling Ah. the whole way. Uh, I am I am feeling some stress, but it's not related to the distance I traveled. It's all related to school board meetings taking place back home uh, yes. this week. They'll be voting on whether to fight the oppression of cloth masks or fuel an outbreak that shuts school down entirely and perhaps land some children in the hospital. It's a tough decision, really. It is. Um, it is. But, uh, but I am trying to relax. We're doing a beach week in Delaware. Uh, this is the best kind of vacation, really, as my in-laws rented an apartment. Then didn't feel comfortable coming because of the Delta variant and my father-in-law's immunocompromised status. So it's just the four of us in a three-bedroom apartment, and all we have to pay for is meals. Not bad. Good good way to vacation. Um, I'm half working uh, while we're here, uh, but uh, somewhat on vacation. Lovely beach town, Bethany Beach. I think I'd rather be here than Alaska, no offense. although I do envy your time zone situation. I envy sports yes. that start at 5 pm and end around 9 p.m.
1: Oh my God. yes, it was it was wonderful actually. I got I'd <laughs> quite forgotten what that was like and and you know what? look, don't worry about it. I have work all the time during these podcasts. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to my world. <laughs> you you could have fooled me I would have thought you were going about a quarter speed but okay. well that's true yeah I, I I just fake it for 45 minutes or so once a week <laughs> that's what she said um <laughs> <laughs> this week on the podcast we have some big doings. That's also what she said in the sport to cover, uh, including the announcement at long last of Canelo Alvarez's next fight, uh, which might be on Showtime pay-per-view, as we'll discuss. And we will preview a card that definitely is on Showtime pay-per-view uh, with Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley headlining and a whole slew of boxes. are a little more up the alley of these podcast hosts on the undercard. Uh, we will also have in place of a top five this week, a little change of pace as Eric challenges me to round two of the cameo boxing pricing game. And having done spectacularly poorly in round one, I am looking forward to seeing if I can improve. <laughs> Redemption. in round two. Redemption, yes, there you go. We shall see. Uh, Redemption or revenge. Oh, that sounds <laughs> like a good pay-per-view uh, title. But, um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but first, let's talk about an upset in Las Vegas and quite possibly the end of his historic boxing career as late substitute, Dennis Ugas, got the job done by a unanimous decision of Amani Pacquiao on Saturday
0: night. Yeah, I I had varying degrees of nervousness throughout these 12 rounds that the judges might deny Ugas the victory. But in the end, the 35-year-old Cuban won convincingly enough that all three judges recognized it as Patricia Morse Jarman scored at 7 rounds to 5 and Steve Weisfeld and Dave Moretti both had it 8 to 4. The 42-year-old Pacquiao coming off two years of inactivity and facing a very different opponent than the one he prepared for, Errol Spence, got off to a decent start in round one and was competitive for the first half of the fight. But Ugas increasingly took away his weapons, maintained the distance he wanted, and pulled away over the back half of the fight. Ugas goes to 27-4 and with the win. Manny falls to 62-8-2. and And I guess if there's any debate over what we saw in the ring on Saturday, it's the question of... How much of this was Ugas being elite and how much of it was Pacquiao getting old? So give me your thoughts on that, Kieran, and on what you saw in the ring and how you scored the fight and how Ugas pulled this off.
1: I scored at 116-112. Uh, I had Pacquiao up 48-47 through 5, and then I gave him just one more round the rest of the way. Um, I think, look, a 32-year-old Manny Pacquiao would have had issues with the ordenist Ugas we saw on Saturday night. But a 32-year-old Manny Pacquiao would have solved those issues, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, You know, Manny just, he hasn't had the explosiveness to his punches for some time now. Um, You know, he still has shown the ability to overwhelm opponents with speed and volume. That just concussive, debilitating, dissuasive power hasn't been there. And and that's been for a number of reasons. You know, age, the sheer volume of fights. Um, But also, you know, that extraordinary footwork that was really the foundation of so much of his success, it's remained vastly superior to a lot. It's been diminishing. And it's one of the things we talked about last week. Like, would that still be there? Um, You know, his positioning just hasn't been the same. He just hasn't quite been able to get himself into the right position at the right time to unload. He's been reaching on his punches just a smidgen. And he just hasn't quite had the torque from his toes all the way through to his shoulders. And and that affects everything. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we talked to Chris Algieri, and he noted that the, the problem with facing Pacquiao is, you know, he's so constantly able to switch positions and angles and fire off punches in an unpredictable rhythm. And Ugas didn't have that problem on Saturday. I I, I mean, full credit to him. He came in with a game plan, he stuck to it, and he executed it to perfection. But it wasn't a complicated game plan. Stand in front of Pacquiao, stick out a long jab, keep him at range, and crack him with that looping right hand. It was the right game plan. Was an effective one he deserves credit for the plan and the execution but that only works if Pacquiao's predictable and he stands more or less in front of Ugas that's not normally what Pacquiao would do but that's what he did on Saturday night um I think we knew going in that Ugas was a big strong technically solid guy we knew he was a dangerous opponent we talked about that um especially you know so late in the game but I think a lot of what we saw was an acceleration in the decline we've been seeing in Manny for a while now. Um, Even after the win over Adrian Bronner, we noted it, Um, you know, and Freddie Roach noted it at the time. Um, Does that win mean that Ugas is elite? Well, we knew he was pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. Um, And he emphasized that. Um, Would I give him, say, a tremendous chance against Terence Crawford? I can give him a tremendous chance. He'd have a chance, but I'd still make Crawford a pretty big favorite over him. But... You know, that said, you know, with Errol Spence out for an indeterminate amount of time, there's an opportunity now for Ugas. He showed that he is one of the best welterweights in the world right now. And there's an opportunity for him to consolidate that position um, as perhaps best of the rest. Um, whether he can get Crawford or Spence, if he can't get them immediately, then he does have plenty of opportunities, I think, to make, make plenty of money and get some really good fights. But 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 anyway, what about you? Did, do you agree with that? Is How do you assess what we saw in the ring and... Um, also, a question I have to ask you that's very important. We talked on the Money Punch podcast right after the opponent change about the betting odds. You were getting very close to putting some money
0: on Ugas. Did you end up
1: putting any money on that fight?
0: I did indeed. I had uh, one medium pizza on Ugas to win <laughs> at 3-1. to one. Uh, and I timed it almost perfectly. I got it. Uh, the, the highest that it got anywhere that I saw was plus 310. I got it at plus 300. So I got it right near its peak. And on top of that, I got a little crazy and put half a pizza on Uga specifically by decision <laughs> at five to one. I figured unless Manny showed up completely shot, Ugas wasn't likely to stop him. So I went with the decision as well. So I had myself a good night uh, and the sports books had themselves a good night as they were tilted more toward Pacquiao bets and were reportedly mostly rooting across the board for an Ugas victory. And speaking of that, that rooting interest that betting creates, maybe it influenced my personal scorecard. And and this is Mm. why no broadcaster should ever bet on a fight he's Mm. calling. Um, I had the widest scorecard I saw anywhere on the interwebs. Uh, I gave Manny the first round and the ninth round, and that was it. I had it 118-110. That said, there were several close rounds. I jotted down that little note, close rounds uh, a few times. Uh, 116-112, like you had it and two of the judges had it. That's a a fine scorecard for this fight. 115-113 makes the fight sound a little closer than i believe it was but it's still not crazy to score five rounds for manny um but i spent a lot of that stretch from rounds two through eight looking for a round to give manny once i'd given like two three four all to ugas i was like boy if the next the next close one i kind of want to give it to manny to even things out a little bit and i I just couldn't Mm. quite do it it was always ugas Mm punctuating the exchanges, Ugas landing the cleaner shots. And on the occasions when Manny flurried, not much seemed to land. Ugas was at least partially blocking most of it. Ugas fought a hell of a fight. I I think, having listened to what you said about it, I'm a little higher on Ugas and a little lower on putting it on Manny's age <laughs> than you. Not, you know, we're talking degrees here, not dramatically sure. different. But I think Ugas, his jab was fantastic. He knew exactly where to be and how to counter Pacquiao, he deserves a lot of credit for this. And I would certainly reject the idea that Manny got old overnight. Uh, And that's not what you said exactly, but there was some of that out there. Um, I don't think this Pacquiao was too different than the one we saw against Keith Thurman or Adrian Broner. It was just, you know, one more degree over the edge in the direction he's been going fight by fight. The hand speed, I thought, was about the same as it's been. He had to fight in spurts a bit, but that was true in those fights also. If there was a difference, it was what you focused on. It was in his legs. Uh, Not as much spring and energy. He was more flat-footed, which led to less head movement as well and general worse defense. He was a little easier to hit than he had been uh, in most of his fights. Um, But I don't think... Adrian Broner comes much closer to beating this Manny than the one that he fought. I don't think Thurman does appreciably better against this Manny. I think this was about Ugas being better and smarter and a sharper counterpuncher than those guys. He had the right skill set and game plan to beat 42-year-old Manny and certainly wouldn't stand much of a chance against true prime Manny. But um, I think this Ugas would have beaten... 39-year-old or 40-year-old Manny also. And uh, speaking of fighters who would have beaten any recent version of Manny Pacquiao, uh, let's drop in the the tweet of the week. It comes from Errol Spence, uh, who Kieran and I felt all along was a huge favorite over Pacquiao. And he was an interested, if frustrated, observer on Saturday. I think it was about three or four rounds into the fight that I saw this tweet. Uh, It was still early in the bout, but you could smell the Ugas win coming. Spence tweeted simply man. And then a very (laughs) forlorn emoji. Uh, It's defined under the emojis as pleading face. Maybe it was him (laughs) pleading with his doctors to let him fight with a torn retina. Um, But that was definitely the most memorable tweet I saw on fight night. And It's pretty darn clear we aren't getting Spence Pacquiao now. We might not be getting Pacquiao versus anyone at all. So I ask you, Kieran, was this the end? Do you think Manny fights again after this, or will Ugas have convinced him to walk away?
1: It's over, I think. Um, I think Freddie will be telling him it's over. Mm -hmm. I mean, they briefly kind of sort of split after the Jeff Horn fight, didn't they? Right. Because Freddie was telling him it was over then. And Manny didn't want to hear it then, but I think he's probably ready to hear it now. And as he mentioned, um, he's got other things to focus on. Look, it's important to point out, he wasn't a disaster in there. He fought, well, very well for a 42-year-old, against right. a top four or five welterweight. Um, he's probably a top 10 welterweight himself, or thereabouts. Yeah. But when you're Manny Pacquiao, that's a big decline. Yeah. Um, We all know I've been banging on for years about my belief that Terence Crawford would whoop him. Uh, I never really wanted to see that in the last couple of years. I certainly wouldn't want to see it now. And like you said, look, you and I both thought it was borderline crazy for him to fight Spence. And we were clearly right. I think that would have been a very sad Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, Mm. almost spectacle. I think that would have been horrid. Um, So where does that leave him? I mean, who can he fight? Look, he's Manny Pacquiao. He fights super fights. He doesn't fight with no disrespect. Chris Van Heerden's or the Julius and Dongos of the world, but, um, you know, that's what he's probably starting to look at. And once further time does start having his way, he, you know, does so with increasing rapidity. Um, you know, it, it can be so precipitous that even taking a seemingly easy ish farewell fight, isn't even a guarantee of going out on a high note, just ask Miguel Cotto or Bernard Hopkins. So I think he's done. Um, you know it, that there are lots of talk, uh, and you know it was talked about on Saturday night that he'll run for president. Um, you know, it, it apparently that's getting more interesting because his, his sort of mentor, the the incumbent Rodrigo Duterte, and he. Or on the outs, apparently, um, Pacquiao called for an end to corruption in politics in the Philippines, which caused Duterte to call him punch drunk. Um, and apparently there are rumors that Duterte, he's term limited, wants to run as vice president with his daughter atop the ticket, which rather reinforces Manny's point. Um, all of that suggests that he's going to need to put a great deal of attention and focus into that. And, and for that reason alone, even if he was still at the top of his game, I think it would be very difficult to see him fight again. But... No, nah, I think it's done. And not only do I think it's done, I hope it's done. I yeah. I don't, Manny Pacquiao has given us a lot of great memories and I, I don't think we need to see him in the ring anymore and, and risk himself anymore. And I am, again, just grateful that we avoided the massacre that I think a Spence fight would have presented. Um, uh, but anyway, that's what I think about Pacquiao uh what about the winner you're slightly higher as you mentioned about ugas um than me so where do you think he fits in this welterweight division and who do you want to see him fight next
0: so i mean i don't think there's anybody at welterweight who would have an easy time against ugas although as you said you'd have to make him an underdog against crawford and i think the same is true against a healthy spence um it's a fascinating division in that it is deep as hell it includes pound for pounders the two guys i just mentioned And the young guys coming up are also as strong as you'll find in any weight class. Um, You have you have the veterans, the top four, Spence, Crawford, Ugas and Porter. Then you have the next tier of veterans, Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, Jamal James. And then you have Boots Ennis and Virgil Ortiz, (laughs) who I would think nobody at the top really wants to fight those guys right now. So for Ugas, if. Crawford and Spence aren't going to fight each other, and clearly they aren't right now, then Ugas is as deserving of a shot at one of them as anybody is. Uh, But Crawford is probably fighting Porter, and Spence will be out a while longer. Ugas versus the Crawford-Porter winner, uh, and then the winner of that gets Spence for all the marbles, that makes a lot of sense. But things are never that easy when when they make sense to us as fans. So I don't know. There isn't an obvious next fight for him. He's already beaten Jamal James. He's the only fighter to defeat James so far. I guess from Ugas' perspective, a Garcia makes the most sense. Which Garcia? Take your pick. Uh, Established names, Danny or Mikey, beating either of them has value. Uh, And I think Ugas should be favored to to beat those guys. Um, But purely as a fan, um, what I want to see, although it doesn't really make any sense for Ugas... I would love to see him represent that major step up for either Ennis or Ortiz. Uh, th- those are really tough fights to predict. Again, not sure why Ugas would want to do that right now. It's not the best way to capitalize financially on beating Manny Pacquiao. But Ugas Ennis and Ugas Ortiz are both fascinating fights right at this moment to me.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, and so, look, the, the main event, obviously, of this pay-per-view card was eventful enough that nobody was actually talking much about the undercard afterwards. But there are some entertaining fights earlier in the evening. Uh, two fights involving unbeaten featherweights both delivered thrills, as Carlos Castro overcame some rocky moments to stop tough veteran Oscar Escandon in 10 rounds. And Filipino up-and-comer Mark McSayo uh, knocked Julio Seja down in round one, got dropped himself in round five, and rallied to knock Seja out cold in the 10th. Uh, not nearly as thrilling was the co feature, uh, with 38 year old Robert Guerrero outpointing 34 year old Victor Ortiz by unanimous 96 94 scores. Eric, what stood out to you there on the undercard, if anything?
0: I'll give you a quick word about each bout. Uh, The Castro fight, man, Escondone remains a serious pain in the ass. That was a good learning fight for Castro, although he doesn't strike me as an A-level prospect. But he, he made good adjustments here, and once again, we saw replay used effectively to get a knockdown call correct. Castro was credited with a knockdown in the seventh, but between rounds they changed it to a slip. Um, Magsayo Seja was the fight of the night. Uh, Magsayo, like Castro, I don't think he's going all the way. Uh, the Filipino fight fans have not found the new Manny Pacquiao, but this was sensational. Great swings and momentum and a knockout of the year candidate. Impressive for Magsayo to get off the deck in round five, lose the next couple of rounds also, and then rally like he did. Guerrero Ortiz, uh, I stopped scoring after two rounds. It just felt like there was no point. The outcome didn't matter to me. Why pay that close attention? Uh, They looked decent for about two rounds, maybe three, and then washed thereafter. Neither one had the energy to do much. I don't think anyone is better off for this fight having happened. But Hopefully, they each collected a decent payday and got something out of their system, and hopefully, they will both pursue career paths that don't involve taking punches.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, I'm with you. I thought those first few rounds, it was a little bit more entertaining than I expected. Uh, I I actually fully expected it to be entertaining and, and, and then sloppy, and actually, they you know, I, they fought hard. I thought it was a bit of a shame that they were getting booed because they fought hard um, to the greatest extent of what remains of their ability. They both looked extremely pleased to have made it to the end. They looked really happy with each other. Right. Um, they had, you know, it wasn't quite a, a dad fight. It was, you know, a, I don't know, cool uncle fight or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, they, but they both have, you know, other avenues to pursue. Uh, I hope, as you said, you know, on the one hand, you think, Yeah, maybe they could have another crack at at something. But it's very hard for either man to see either man being competitive against anyone else other than a fellow 36, 37, 38 year old. And as you also mentioned, we're talking about a ridiculously stacked division, a dangerously stacked division. Um, So, yeah, hopefully, like you said, they got something out of their uh, system and uh, got nicely paid. Yeah. All right. Uh, We transition now from a pay-per-view headlined by one of the biggest names in the sport for the past two decades or so, to a pay-per-view headlined by, eh, well, actually one of the biggest names currently boxing professionally, whether we like it or not, uh, Jake Paul, who fights for the fourth time as a pro on Sunday, August 29th, atop a five-fight showtime pay-per-view card from Paul's hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. And I will point out that this five-fight pay-per-view card will be taking place while I'm still in Alaska.
0: So... uh, (laughs) Son of a bitch.
1: I've I've timed it well. Uh, Paul takes on a former UFC champ making his pro boxing debut, Tyron Woodley. Uh, And there are four undercard fights, three of which which feature pro boxer versus pro boxer. So we'll break those down in our usual way and we'll make predictions as part of our ongoing picks competition. But we'll handle this eight-round main event a little differently. Uh, No official predictions come in. It's a fight that might have appeal to some members of our audience but for the most part i think the target audience for jake paul fights and the typical listeners to a hardcore boxing podcast don't overlap too much but this fight and fights like it have become important in the sport as this is one direction the business has been going in and paul versus woodley is intriguing in many ways as a spectacle and an event so we'll look at it through that lens uh eric how does the buzz for this event Compared to Jake Paul's previous fights, and for that matter, to his brother Logan's exhibition against Floyd Mayweather, and although we're not going to make our own picks, you're the gambling guy, the gambling guy on a roll. We <laughs> should point out. So, uh, what are the betting odds like for this bout? Uh,
0: so, yeah, looking at the the betting odds because that that part's pretty straightforward to answer. Now, not all sports books are taking bets on the fight, um, even though it's not an exhibition. It's perhaps exhibition-y enough that some mm. books are staying away from it. But where a line is posted, Woodley is about a plus 150 underdog. Paul, about a minus 175 favorite. And that's with Paul getting a lot of the public money. You know, If anyone's price is a wee bit inflated here, Pacquiao style, it's Paul's. So in short, the bookmakers see this as a pretty even fight. No huge favorite here might actually be a good opportunity for betters if you feel strongly one way or the other. I haven't studied these guys closely enough to to have my own strong feelings on who the favorite truly is. Um, As for the buzz, admittedly, I don't travel in the online and real Mm. world circles where the buzz for what the Paul brothers are doing can most easily be measured. Um, It's getting good hype from Showtime All Access and other points of promotion. And I think with Jake Paul's progression as a boxer, he's being taken incrementally more seriously each time out. There are relatively casual fans believing he can be an actual contender. Uh, (laughs) We don't fall into that category, but I think he is doing a good job of sort of developing a, a fan base that believes in him. I think he is building more buzz with each fight. You know, the first one against a fellow YouTuber, Pretty much just circus appeal there. Um, right. Same with the Nate Robinson fight, although that violent knockout getting shared, however many millions of times online, did a lot for the Jake Paul boxing brand. Ben Askren is pretty washed, but he beat him in dominant fashion. And Woodley has to be taken seriously as an opponent due to his MMA background. This is a main event of a real pay-per-view I think this is the most buzz yet for a Jake Paul fight. Um, they have a loser has to get a tattoo bet, which adds a little extra marketing hook. Um, you know, I, I think the buzz is different than it was for Paul versus the YouTuber he fought in his first fight. Uh, but all in all, it's got to be bigger for this one. Um, but I don't think it sniffs the buzz for Floyd versus Logan. Uh, that was different two guys with enormous and not necessarily overlapping fan bases. This doesn't feel like it's crossed over into mainstream coverage and conversation to the extent that that one did. Mm -hmm. Um, And boy, this all feels so strange to be discussing on our supposedly serious (laughs) boxing podcast. The Paul brothers were not in our lives a year or two ago. I had an awareness of who they were, but that's about it. But they're in our lives now where do you stand on them currently? Has your attitude been modified at all with regard to how good or not good they are for boxing since the gotcha hat incident and Logan's (laughs) respectable showing versus Floyd? Um, And Woodley, meanwhile, he was known as a striker in MMA. He fits the bill of a Jake Paul opponent as he's new to boxing. He's 39 years old. His best days are behind him. But What's your level of intrigue over whether Woodley might be a real threat to hand Paul his first loss?
1: Yeah, you know, that whole question about how I feel about him. I mean, it's kind of an interesting question, really. I I think a part of my objection to them in the boxing ring, at least initially, has been an objection to my perception of their personalities or their public personalities. And that's simply because so much of their brand and their career is based on them putting that personality out there, whether that's their real personality or an exaggerated version of it. Um, I, you know, I you'll be unsurprised to hear I do not subscribe to either of their YouTube channels. <laughs> um, uh, I've seen some of their videos, uh, some of them like Lo, some of Logan's, not just the obvious Suicide Forest one for which he deeply apologized, as some of the others I've seen, put it mildly, they're not exactly the kind of thing that you know, I, I, I find particularly interesting or fascinating or I feel they sort of cater to some of the worst aspects of some people. But I'm also kind of old and get off my lawny and um kind of. Kind of, exactly. Um and Jake, man, oh man, Jake's made some stupid comments in the past about COVID and during the George Floyd riots last year, he seemed to think it'd be fun to be involved in rioting through a mall as if the whole situation was just an opportunity for overprivileged white people to earn cliques. Um, he just basically seems to be kind of self-absorbed and probably exactly the kind of person I would hate. But. To be fair, I suspect that if you had the faintest awareness of my existence, you would be similarly unimpressed with me as well. Um, Sure, the feeling would be mutual. Um, And yeah, I do. I have problems still with the idea that someone could be earning this much from boxing when they've never even boxed a boxer. But it is prize fighting. Um, And there are, as we've discussed, particularly lately far more egregious issues with boxing and the business of boxing than what these guys are doing. And if I don't want to have to discuss people whose personalities seem objectionable, I am so in the wrong business. (laughs) Um, And as far as I know, they've never failed PED tests or crashed a car while drunk or been involved in a hit and run or been filmed grabbing and shaking their girlfriend or gone to jail for hitting their baby mama or been charged with punching a woman in the face, all of which have been done by successful professional boxers, whom we have discussed on this podcast, including after those boxers were involved in those events. So, um, and they're clearly putting in the work. They clearly want to be successful. This isn't just a joke to them. They are putting far more effort into being good boxers than say James Tony ever did into being an MMA fighter. And if, as is the case with this pay-per-view, they're able to bring exposure to much better, more accomplished boxes, then I'm all for it. Um, I'm a little bit intrigued by the notion of whether Woodley can beat him. Um, you touched on this. Whoever is matchmaking for him, and it may be Jake Paul himself, is doing an excellent job. Pick somewhat high-profile non-boxers who used to be good at their non-boxing but now aren't. Set them up as potentially defining and dangerous opponents. Smoke them, wash, rinse, and repeat. And it's not necessarily a significantly worse series of opponents than most boxers in their three first three pro fights uh i also to circle back to one other part of your question give logan all the credit in the world for what he did against floyd and yeah okay part of it maybe floyd was more washed than he realized or too old or too small or just couldn't be asked in that floyd kind of way of his but floyd Mayweather is still the greatest boxer of his generation and logan paul who had never fought a professional boxer in his life hung in there took punches from him and threw punches back at him And he deserves so much credit for that. Uh, Do I really like anything about this current landscape of exhibition fights and YouTuber pay-per-views? Nah, not really. But it's boxing. And boxing's always been a circus. And I do have to give the brothers credit for being outstandingly good
0: ringmasters. Yeah. For sure. All right, well, you mentioned how one positive uh, side effect of all this is that they uh, shine a bit of a spotlight on some boxers that otherwise might not be seen or known by certain audiences. Let's go through the undercard fights one by one uh, and make our quick predictions. We start with the most accomplished boxer on the card, regardless of gender, Amanda Serrano, a top three women's pound for pound fighter. She's 41 and one with 30 knockouts. Hasn't lost a fight in more than nine years, coming off one of the most impressive wins of her career, a ninth-round stoppage of Daniela Bermudez. She's held belts in every division from 115 to 140. <laughs> this fight is at featherweight, 126 pounds, and she takes on Yamileth Mercado of Mexico, nine years her junior at 23. She brings a record of 18-2 and two with five KOs, and she makes her U.S. debut here. Kieran, give me your thoughts on the value of this exposure for Serrano on how likely you think it is that we'll see Serrano versus Katie Taylor after this and uh, then make your pick on the fight.
1: Yeah, like, like I mentioned earlier, what I do like, actually love about this pay-per-view is that I think this is the first time that we've had this kind of circus act, a top, a really, really solid boxing card. I think if you take out the opening fight and the main event, it's a really good three fight Showtime Championship boxing card. Um, and I love the idea of more fans getting to see Amanda Serrano. Uh, when it comes to women's boxing, most of the talk is about Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields and rightly so, they deserve it. But Serrano, man, you could make a case for her being the best of the bunch. Uh, she's a fantastically good boxer, beautiful puncher, styles, fantastic. She's wonderfully compact. She talks her punches beautifully. She is beyond dedicated to her craft. She says she's never had a boyfriend and she doesn't intend to until her <laughs> career is over. Um, hopefully before that happens, She will face Katie Taylor there is an agreement seemed to be on the cards I think it was in 2019 but it fell through and her being uh, involved in such a high profile event like this can only help. Um, Whether or not Taylor will be next I can't say but I do believe she will get past Mikado. She's a good fighter, Mikado, but she's at all kinds of disadvantages here. As you know, Serrano's fought as high as 140. Mikado right now is moving up from 122. Um, Serrano's a southpaw. One of Mikado's two losses was against a lefty, and she's gone nine fights since she last fought one. And as you mentioned, she has just five KOs in her 18 wins, which suggests she just isn't going to have the firepower to bother Serrano. That obviously won't be the same in the other direction. As good as Mikado is, I just don't see her living with Serrano. If these were three minute rounds, I would pick Serrano to to stop her in about five rounds or so. As it is, I'm going to go with Amanda Serrano by an eight round stoppage.
0: Okay. Um, I'm not quite far enough behind in our pick competition. Uh, just uh, four points, I believe uh, the, that I need to start trying to shake it up and, and making bold picks. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, going to play it a little conservative here and, and just go with my, what, what I truly believe that uh, obviously Serrano is an enormous favorite here. She has to be the pick uh, and she's, Unique in that she's a top women's pound-for-pounder who actually scores frequent stoppages. Nobody yeah. else among the elite is even close to a 50% KO rate. Not Shields, not Taylor, or Delphine Persune, or Jessica McCaskill, or Cecilia Bracus With two-minute rounds, especially as you uh, hinted at, there KOs are not easy to come by. Serrano has 30 KOs out of 40 wins. She may as well be Deontay Wilder by women's boxing (laughs) standards. Uh, She can box. She can fight. She's a southpaw, as you said. And also, as you said, Mercado doesn't seem to have the pop to threaten her. Um, Mercado hasn't been stopped in her two losses. So I thought about a distance fight, but, you know, she just hasn't faced anyone close to Serrano's ability. So, uh I expect that she will get stopped here. Um, I'm going to say her th- corner throws in the towel. Somewhere in the back half of the fight. Pretty close to your pick. Slight difference. I'll go Serrano KO 7. Okay. All right.
1: Uh, next up, we have, well, at least on paper, maybe the most competitive fight on the undercard. 140-pound showdown between two Southpaw veterans of Showbox. Uh, Ivan Baranchik, 20-2, and two, 13 KO's fighting for the first time since losing the 2020 fight of the year against Jose Cepeda. And Montana, too pretty love. 15-0-1 with seven knockouts fighting in his hometown of Cleveland. Between them, they have nine Showtime appearances, eight of them Showbox fights. Uh, Love is quite the character. Among other eccentricities, he says he was once disqualified from an amateur tournament because he missed weight due to eating too many Snickers ice cream bars. Uh, Look, anyway, this is a big step up in quality for Love. Baranchik, easy his most proven opponent. Uh, the big question, of course, facing Baronchik is how much that Zapeda war took out of him. Any guesses about whether we'll be seeing a diminished Baronchik on Sunday night? And do you expect this to be the
0: show stealer among all the fights? And what's your pick? Oh, well, first things first. I loved Snickers ice cream bars back when my (laughs) body permitted me to eat ice cream bars. One of the absolute best forms of ice cream. Best thing to buy from the ice cream guy who walks up and down the beach. Full endorsement. So, uh, Montana love, I feel you on that. Uh, As for whether Baronchik left a piece of himself in the ring against Cepeda, let's remember that wasn't his first grueling fight. He also Mm. beat Abel Ramos in 2017 in one of the best fights in the 20-year history of Showbox. He's now been knocked down eight times in his pro career, so this is just a guess, but with the brutal KO at the end of that Cepeda fight factored in, chances are he's at least a little bit diminished. The easier question to answer is whether this figures to be the show stealer. I say yes, definitely. Um, It's the most even matchup. At least one of the two fighters tends to make really exciting fights. Uh, Love is a little bit more of a slickster, but not to the point that I've ever found him boring, Uh, and he has a lot to motivate him here as he's a promotional free agent fighting on a big stage. I'm hoping this is the fight that makes the Jake Paul fans tuning in say, Mm. whoa, boxing is pretty awesome sport. Even when I don't know the personalities from social media, this is fun. I want to watch more of this. Um, So I I should get to my pick Uh, going with the mild upset here and suspecting Baron is on the other side of ripe. I, I think he'll try to box smarter under new trainer, Pedro Diaz. These guys might not go to war right from the opening bell. It could take a few rounds, but eventually they'll be slinging power shots. And even though he's never been tested like that and never been in a battle like that, I just think Montana Love with the faster hands. I think he can get there with his punches more, be able to take it better than Baronchik at this point. I'm going to go with my second KO7 pick on this card. I'm going to say he hurts Baronchik and finishes him in round seven of an excellent fight but one that maybe leaves Barinczyk thinking hard about his future if indeed it plays out in line with my prediction. What are you thinking?
1: I think it was a very difficult fight to to come up with a prediction for. You know, love's certainly a character, as you say. And he's also shown that he's a relaxed and and, and capable boxer. He's got some really legit skills uh, and he can adapt on the fly. He's got good mo- movement, as you said. Uh, he does sometimes give his opponents openings to sort of impose themselves a bit. He doesn't always, I think, separate himself from them as as effectively as he should. I mean, even when he won that... Decision over Jericho Walton on Showbox uh, in 2020. He still let Walton into the fight a little bit before fully imposing himself. Um, you have to figure that somebody like Chick is going to take advantage of those kind of openings if he's presented with them. And, you know, as, as we talked about, Chick is the guy with the much higher level of opposition. But still, like you said, even though he's only got 22 or so pro fights on his ledger, not all pro fights are the same in terms of the damage they do, and apart aside from the ones that we've mentioned, you know, don't forget he's been in there with Josh Taylor as well, Baron chick. and I do think that he could be one of those guys for whom the end of the road starts coming up quite rapidly. Uh, I think. It might be pretty interesting early. I think it might be a little bit different. I actually think we might see some of the livelier stuff early on, but then I think Love's going to settle into a little bit of a rhythm. Might be a bit behind halfway through, but then I kind of just see him sort of slicking Baranchik down the stretch and Baranchik just not quite be able to have what it takes to catch up with him anymore. I am also picking Montana Love, but we do have a difference of opinion here. I'm going to pick him by a unanimous decision.
0: Okay. Uh, so we go from the most competitive fight on the card to a fight with a 33-1 favorite. Uh, This is a showcase fight on paper, showcasing heavyweight prospect Daniel Dubois in front of an American audience for the first time. Dubois is 16-1 with 15 KOs, and this is his second get-well fight after his upset stoppage loss to Joe Joyce as he takes on Joey Cusimano, 19-3, 17 KOs. That record built, unfortunately, against nobody you've heard of. Kieran, can you tell us, Cusumano noobs, anything about him? Uh, also, what are you looking to see from Dubois here? And what round are you picking for the KO? Or, I, I mean, uh, who, who are you picking and by what method of victory?
1: Um, well, Kusumano was born in Sicily, moved to the States when he, when he was a child. Uh, and he last fought on the undercard of the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones pay-per-view. So he's used to be on these kind of events. Hmm. Um, his promoter, Jimmy Birchfield, actually... Tried to entice Tyson to fight Cusimano, which was obviously going to go nowhere. Um, interestingly, Birchfield uh, is not averse to fighting himself, uh, even at the age of 78. Uh, after Cusimano stopped Brendan Barrett in 2019, a brawl broke out ringside, and Birchfield was arrested for throwing punches <laughs> on the ring apron. So, uh, perfect, perfect for this card. Um he sparred with Deontay Wilder, but his quality of his opposition, as he said, is poor. Two fights ago, he lost to a 42-year-old bus driver. And I don't mean that metaphorically in that Greg Hogg and accusing Julio Cesar Chavez <laughs> of only fighting cab drivers. This was an actual bus driver. Um, his team says he's getting Dubois at just the right time. I think it's more accurate to say he's just the right opposition for Dubois. He's coming off his loss and broken orbital bone against Joe Joyce. He's expect him to have a soft touch like this. I fully expect Dubois to maybe take a round or two to feel comfortable again. He's got to feel comfortable with, you know, not just, you know, punching, but being punched uh, and to get his timing right. I don't expect Dubois to go for broke early, but he, he might, of course, if he just, like, finds himself uh, uh, able to have great impact very early on. I think the first round might be a feeling out round. kusamano um, has been down twice, but never knocked out. He'll be down more times in the second. I think maybe he just makes it into the third, and then he gets stopped. Dubois, KO3.
0: Okay. We are right on the same page, but not the exact same pick. Uh, I'd be kind of surprised if Kusumano makes it past round two. Um, mm. You know, like looking at Dubois' record against this level of opposition, it's almost always a KO1 or a KO2. I think Cusimano will prove tough enough not to fold the first time or second time he's hit clean, and also that Dubois might take his time in round one, seeking to get a little work in, but I'm seeing a bunch of knockdowns in the second round, and it's over. Um, So I'm going to go KO2, and I'm excited to see the betting props for this and to possibly load up on either KO1 or a KO2 or the under, wherever they set that, uh, if the prices are decent.
1: Can tell that you're going to be on the East Coast and I'm going to be in Alaska because you are clearly rooting for a <laughs> shorter
0: <laughs>
1: evening <laughs> across the board. Regardless uh, of where
0: I am and where you are, I'm I'm always kind of rooting oh, for a short evening. Fair enough, fair
1: enough. Uh, we end with a fight that's uh, connected to where we began, as uh, Tommy Fury, the cruiserweight half brother of Tyson Fury, makes his own US debut against an MMA fighter again here, as he positions himself to quite possibly fight Jake Paul next. Uh, This is just a six-rounder. It's the six and O fury against the zero and one, Anthony Taylor, who has 12 Bellator fights. To his credit, like the main event, this doesn't fit the parameters for the sort of fight we make official picks on, but let's talk about it for a quick moment. Uh, Taylor's a sparring partner for Jake Paul. He's the B-side in that gym. He's the B-side here giving away five inches in height, probably about 10 to 15 pounds. Uh, The focus is on the 22-year-old Fury, who, you know, unlike Jake Paul, has fought boxers, but his six opponents at this point have a combined record of 14, 174, and 2. Wow. (laughs) Um, Which is, is that better than fighting three guys with records of 0 and 0? be the judge uh he signed a two-fight deal with showtime the plan clearly being to set up paul versus fury if they both win on sunday that will be i think the big breakout fight um but simply because of, of tommy's name there uh eric thoughts on that long game if you were and anything to add at all on either tommy fury or anthony taylor
0: Sure, I'll give you an additional nugget or two about the fighters. Uh, Tommy Fury was on the UK reality dating show Love Island, which <laughs> basically makes him a real life Jamie Tart, which is a Ted Lasso reference. Uh, yeah. Come on, Karen, you got to watch that show. I got I to catch up. Once, catch up know, once you're back to boring post Alaska life, I fully expect you to dive in. Uh, Taylor, uh, he actually started boxing. First, at age 18, seven years before he got into MMA, so he's not a total newcomer to the sport, although a loss to Dante Stubbs in his only pro boxing match four years ago suggests he's not all that great at boxing and falls in line with the rest of Tommy Fury's opposition so far. As for that long game, I gotta give him credit, Jake Paul or his people, as he said, we're not sure who's making these matches, whoever's doing it knows what they're doing, yeah, it's just smart business putting Paul versus Fury on a fight poster. People might not know which Paul and they yeah. might not know which Fury, but they know those surnames. Let's see if Paul, uh, if Jake Paul gets past Woodley. But if he does, this becomes his first fight against an actual boxer. You figure he'd probably be an underdog in this one. It's a reasonable test. If anything, if he takes on Tommy Fury next, he's moving faster than I would have thought he would. Mm. Uh, You know, it would show that they're not totally milking it. They're trying to prove a little something. Good for them. Uh, I kind of find myself rooting for Paul and Fury to both win and set that up. Although, if I know the Fury family, that press tour will be a shit show of profanity and (laughs) offensiveness and, of course, a viral breeding ground. So eh, maybe I'm not rooting for Paul and Fury after all. (laughs) All right, it's time for the news, and there is no question as to what the biggest news of the week was, although there is some question how much more we'll have to say about it since we've discussed this fight several times in recent months. In any case, it is finally official. Canelo Alvarez will face Caleb Plant to crown a lineal super middleweight champion. The fight, once targeted for September 18th, is now scheduled for November 6th at a venue to be announced in Las Vegas, and it will be on pay-per-view though it is not yet apparent whether the carrier will be Fox or Showtime. Listeners can guess which outlet we're rooting for. (laughs) Uh, Canelo reportedly signed a one-fight deal with PBC, not locking himself up long-term, and there is a rematch clause in the event that Canelo loses. Kieran, we're getting the fight we expected all along. We're getting it seven weeks later than we originally thought we'd get it, but with that delay comes the possibility that Showtime will carry the broadcast, and in turn, the possibility that we might just maybe go to Vegas for our first in-person podcasting experience in a couple of years. And that's really the major news story here. Uh, anyway, we've said almost everything there is to say about this, but can you think of any new spins to put on it? I'm counting on you for at least one interesting nugget or angle, but don't use up too much good stuff. Cause we might be doing a lot of preview material on this fight.
1: Well, here's one. Okay. We're really lucky. Canelo Alvarez will be the last, or indeed Caleb Plant, will be the last undisputed four-belt champion because right after that fight, the WBA will lose its recognition (laughs) and the U.S. will be forced to wrap up. How about that for an (laughs) overly optimistic talking point? (laughs) That is excessively
0: optimistic, but I like it.
1: All right. um, Look, I think it underlines again uh, Canelo will face... Basically, pretty much anybody at this point, although he will make sure, of course, that the money and circumstances are absolutely in his favor, as he's entitled to, to do. Um, he's clearly, you know, in a race to sort of seal his legacy at this point of his career. You know, just look at the people he's fought over the last few years. Miguel Cotto, Gennady Golovkin twice, Daniel Jacobs, Sergey Kovalev, Billy Joe Saunders, now Plan. And if he gets through this, you have to figure that your personal wet dream of a fight with Artur Bedabiev is just around the corner if Bedabiev can get past Marcus Brown, who appears on his way to be his next foe. Uh, if anything, the quality of his opposition has stepped up, uh, as has the frequency of his fights. Um, as I've said before, I don't think Canelo is going to be around for very much longer. And I do fully expect him to seek to gather as many accolades and belts and baubles and victories as he can. Uh, and I, you know, a clear and convincing plant win we're not ruling out caleb plan um but we'll discuss the x's and o's of that nearer the nearer the day Mm -hmm. but it would be his third win of the year the year at a time where god we used to bemoan the fact that top fighters only fought twice a year and now we're lucky if they do that much um that would almost by definition put him in with a strong shot at fighter of the year honors yeah um Not a whole lot to cover on the news undercard this week. Uh, A small detail wrapped up for Anthony Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. It will be carried in the U.S. on the zone, as expected. Salvador Rodriguez of ESPN Deportes reported that former heavyweight titleist Andy Ruiz has surgery on his right knee, an injury that had apparently been bothering him for three years, and he won't be fighting again until at least December. And an interesting little controversy reported by espn's mike Carpenter, uh junior middleweight prospect charles conwell claims he pulled out of an april ring city main event by faking a hand injury on the advice of his manager david mcwater so he could take about for more money against a lesser opponent on the teofimo lopez george cambosis undercard that card of course was postponed due to lopez contracting covid uh, co-promoter tony holden told espn conwell is a quote great kid who was quote given bad advice. Uh, Anything you want to comment on there?
0: Uh, Not much analysis to offer on these, except for the Conwell situation. That is fascinating. And while we can't confirm that this all happened exactly as the people quoted say it happened, it makes sense. There's nothing here that isn't believable. The only surprising thing is that Conwell is admitting he faked an injury. That's usually something you keep to yourself. I guess he's just frustrated at how it's turned out. I wonder if there will be consequences if the New York Commission will fine him or something. Uh, Certainly, David McWater doesn't come off too well in this ordeal. Mm. And I was confused by the quote from him in Coppinger's story. In the article, it reads, McWater said there was no reason for them to lie because they didn't have a signed contract for the April fight. Quote, we could have pulled out for any reason, McWater said. That's the only quote from McWater that appears in the article. So I guess he was interviewed. Um, I have no idea if he's saying they didn't claim a fake injury, or they did, but it doesn't matter why they said they were pulling out. I don't know if you have an interpretation, Kieran, but, but... News reports aren't supposed to require interpretation. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure what McWatter's side of this ultimately is. Anyway, I don't always subscribe to the a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush saying, but in this case, (laughs) I guess it was. Uh, A bird in the fake injured hand was worth infinity in the COVID canceled bush, is the uh, twist on that saying.
1: Ah, there you go. There's a t
0: shirt. (laughs) It will not sell well uh all right let's wrap up this podcast with a game uh this is uh where i would normally give kira next week's top five challenge but we'll throw that cycle off by one week To shake it up with the Cameo Boxing Pricing Game Show, I'm your host, Mike Richards. Please don't listen to my podcast from eight (laughs) years ago. That legitimately applies to both him and to me. Um, Anyway, last time we played, I sprung this on Kieran, but no springing now. He knows it's coming. He just doesn't know who the boxing subjects are. In case any of our audience members are unfamiliar or have forgotten, I'll give Kieran a list of boxing folks who are on the Cameo app where they sell personal greetings. He has to try to rank them by price. Last time we did the high price range, $200 and up. This week, it's the mid-tier range from $75 to $200. There are no ties here. Everyone I picked is at a different distinct price point, And we have eight people. Uh, I can't say eight boxers because one is not okay. a boxer. Uh, going alphabetically, the non-boxer comes first. So here they are in alphabetic order. You're eight people. Get that pen and paper ready. Mm-hmm. Teddy Atlas. Connor Ben. Riddick Bow, Kel Brook. Eric Butterbean Esh jeff horn ray boom boom mancini and eric morales those are your eight uh you can attempt to count them down from cheapest to most expensive or from most expensive to cheapest or just kind of talk it through a bit but let's see uh how close you come to Uh, putting them in the right one who was after butterbean after butterbean was jeff horn did you get you Okay,
1: and then Mancini and Morales.
0: Yes, that is the. I'll 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 run through them one more time. Uh, Thank you. To stall for you, uh, make sure you've got them all, and also uh, get them uh, the names all in the minds of the listeners again here. But I'll go a little quicker this time. Teddy Atlas, Connor Ben, Riddick Bow, Kel Brook, Butterbean, Jeff Horn, Boom Boom Mancini, and Eric Morales. All right.
1: Let me think. So. I wonder how many people even still remember Butterbean. Of course, I, I out-thought myself a little bit last time by trying to sort of do mental Venn diagrams of, of you know, people who remember fighters of a certain age and, and also the target demographic for Cameo, and right. that didn't work out great all the time. Let me think. I... So I'm going to say right now that I think Teddy Atlas is at the top
0: okay I will not I will not tell you and you can adjust, you can adjust understand. your list until you're finished but uh, okay We're putting okay. atlas slating Atlas in at the top for now okay
1: I think boom boom's still really well known and I think he's well known to a younger audience too uh, and he was just so popular at his peak so I'm gonna say boom boom is second. okay? Morales is a god to many people <laughs> in boxing. He's going to be third and and just incredibly well known within the boxing community, I think. Let me see who have we got next. Man, I'm going to put I'm going to put Riddick last cuz I just don't know who's going to I'm trying to be nice, but Who's necessarily going to want a recorded greeting from 2021 Riddick mm. It's, You know what I'm saying. Right. Um, it, it
0: occurs to me that he kind of invented Cameo. Remember when he was like selling greetings on Twitter like six or seven oh, years I ago? Oh, i forgotten
1: <laughs> all about that. Yeah, so
0: he was. Yeah, I had forgotten about that.
1: All right. <clears throat> Jeff Warren is very popular in Australia. Let me think. I'm going to actually, I'm going to put Jeff Horn four because I think he's very popular in Australia. I'll put Butterbean five. Connor Ben is becoming increasingly popular in the UK and of course his dad is so popular. I'll put him six and I'll put Kelbrook seven. So I have from eight to one, eight Riddick Bowes, seven Kell six Connor Ben, five Butterbean, four Jeff Horn three, Eric Morales, two, Boom Boom Mancini, and number one, Teddy Atlas. And I am sticking with that list.
0: Okay. Uh, you did not get a single person in their exact right spot. But <laughs> <laughs> but that said, you got certain people in the right range, and there were certain things that threw you uh, way off. Um, okay. I'll go... I'm trying to decide whether it makes more sense to go from bottom to top. I'm going to go from top to bottom. Okay. Because one and two, you were way off on because apparently... British fighters, especially active fighters, uh, must be able to command more. Um, sort of like what you were saying about how popular Horn is in Australia. I guess uh, the Brits are doing well on Cameo because Connor Ben is actually the highest priced at two hundred dollars, okay. and yeah. Kel Brook is number two at one hundred fifty dollars.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, but from there, the next couple you were you were on the right track. Teddy Atlas is next. He's one hundred forty five. And Boom Boom is right after him at $125. Okay. Uh, now you might be a little surprised by this next one. Riddick Bowe, $100 even. He's, huh. I mean, he's still a big name. Yeah. Uh, and certainly um, he is seeking to make money in ways such as this. So I guess yep. he's setting his price point where he thinks he can command uh, enough to make it worth his while and uh, and get a fair amount of business. Um, Jeff Horn is next, $95, just underneath Bo. This is probably the biggest surprise for me. Eric Morales, way down at 80 bucks. That's a steal. That is a steal. Yeah. I don't know how much he's saying in a language that uh, that I can understand. But uh, if I were a Spanish speaker uh, and a boxing fan, that's a, that's a great price on Eric Morales. And lastly, at $75, Butterbean. And you were kind of on the right track with your thinking when you were thinking out loud at the beginning that, gee, I'm not sure how many people remember mm. Butterbean. Yeah, he's priced the lowest of this group.
1: Yeah oh, OK.
0: I guess it doesn't look such a terrible list if
1: you ignore the fact that I got Ben and Brooke totally wrong.
0: Right, right. I think I think I would give you some credit. Uh, You know, you get a B plus at least on, on Atlas ah. and Mancini and that range of it. You kind of nailed those guys. But uh, yeah, D minus on a couple of the others. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm quite surprised about Eric Morales. But there you go. Well, you'll have one more chance to play this game at some point with the low price group. Maybe you'll you'll, you'll put together the perfect uh list for that one. You'll nail it
1: precedent suggests otherwise but i appreciate your optimism (laughs) all right that will do it for this week's episode of showtime boxing with raskin and Mulvaney. uh we might be back on friday with a money punch mini podcast with a paul woodley pay-per-view if there are enough interesting bets available uh certainly there will be a regular episode the following monday as we stay up late some of us later than others (laughs) to uh bring you next morning analysis from the sunday night pay-per-view until then thank you for listening be safe kind and be well.